0: we ingest our environment in much the same way that we ingest food and water. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, co-founder and CEO of MindRamp Consulting. This episode focuses on the eighth and final cogwheel of brain health, environmental factors. How does your environment affect your health and well-being, How do your surroundings impact your ability to achieve qual longevity? To live long and live well. As with all of the cogwheels, it is important to identify risk and protective factors. The proverbial good wolves that we want to feed and the bad wolves we want to starve. When thinking about environmental factors, I find it useful to think of the good wolves as being enriched environments, and the bad wolves as being impoverished environments. So we will want to look at the differences between enriched and impoverished environments. Another important concept is that we ingest our environment in much the same way that we ingest food and water. The oxygen we ingest from our environment is helpful in fact, essential to sustain our life. Pollutants and viruses floating in our environment, on the other hand, are noxious and dangerous when we bring them into our bodies. Our environment can feed us, and it can infect us. Anything that gets into our body has the potential of either nurturing our growth and development, or it can invade our body and disrupt important physiological processes. The same holds true for less tangible aspects of the environment. We are affected by what we see and hear, by the nature of the space around us. Beautiful images, enchanting odors, and inspiring vistas, when ingested, tend to promote happiness and well-being. Ugliness, foul and fetid stench, and harsh and grating noises, when ingested, undermine our sense of well-being. Environments include people, what they say and how they act. The environments we choose to inhabit, to a certain extent, reflect the kinds of people we want to be surrounded by. These people behave in certain ways, live by specific values, and hold unique worldviews. These factors can enrich our environments, or they can impoverish it. So, combining these two ideas, you should examine whether your environment is enriched or is impoverished, and whether you are mindfully ingesting positive aspects of your environment or perversely choosing to ingest negative and destructive aspects. So you should evaluate your physical environment, your emotional environment, and your mental environment. At their most basic level, the environmental good wolves and bad wolves affect how we feel, or or more specifically, how we choose to feel. Would we rather be tense or relaxed? Would we rather struggle or feel at ease? Do you want to live in fear or to feel safe and secured? Do we want to be constantly angry with people or would it be better to feel friendly and neighborly? With some thought along these lines, the identity of the good wolves and the bad wolves comes into greater focus. Does your environment really have an effect on your health and well-being, or is it all ultimately determined by your genetic makeup? This is the essential question of the nature versus nurture controversy. Opposing sides hotly debate whether nature, our genes, or nurture, the environmental factors, have the greatest influence on our development, health, and behavior. Extremists on the nature side argue that genes are destiny. We are programmed at birth and follow a strict script of behavior and growth as dictated by our genetic inheritance. Extremists on the nurture side argue that we are born as blank slates and are shaped entirely by what we experience as we interact with our external environment. Well, as is usually the case with such contentious debates, neither side is entirely correct nor entirely wrong. Most modern scientists and thinkers now agree that we are forged through a combination of forces. We were all born, to be sure, with a specific genetic makeup that shapes the broad parameters of who we are and what we can become. But genes do not determine our fate. Genes are not our destiny. Much of our development depends on what we encounter in the environment and how we react to it. Mm -hmm. Epigenetics. Neuroscientists are beginning to figure out the mechanisms by which environmental conditions alter the behavior of genes. While genes don't change their basic structure, environmental influences can have an epigenetic effect, which influences whether the genes get expressed or not, whether they are turned on or remain quiet. The Greek prefix epi means over. So epigenetics means over genes, more than genes, beyond genes. Epigenetic changes are like on-off switches that change the behavior of genes without altering the physical structure of the DNA. Genes are inert. To have an impact, genes have to get turned on or turned off. And what happens is that certain environmental factors cause genes to get tagged in ways that either activate or repress their ability to be expressed. And these epigenetic alterations can be either good or bad. Environment in this context can mean the immediate environment of the cell in which the gene resides, or something in the outside environment that makes its way into the body and ultimately has an impact on the cellular environment. Remember the point about ingesting our environment just the way we ingest food and air. What we ingest becomes part of us. It gets into our bloodstream and is carried to cells in our bodies and our brains. For example, recent research out of the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine found that late-onset Alzheimer's disease is driven by epigenetic changes. Certain types of epigenetic changes protect the brain during normal aging, But this research also found epigenetic changes that removed that protection and drove the progression of dementia. So in other words, in normal aging, the epigenomic landscape looks different than it does in a diseased state. The next step in the research, of course, is to figure out which environmental conditions cause the protective changes and which cause or promote disease. So what are impoverished environments? Let's go through an exemplary list. Pollution, for example. According to a recent study published in the British Medical Journal, air pollution is now an established risk factor for heart disease, stroke, and respiratory disease, and Alzheimer's. Significant exposure may produce neuroinflammation and may interfere with the brain's innate immune response. Toxins. As one neuroscientist puts it, we are swimming in a sea of toxins. Neurotoxins, that is, toxins that affect the neural cells in our brain, are everywhere, including the air we breathe, the food we eat, the skin care products we use to make ourselves beautiful, and the cleaning products we use to sanitize our homes. A toxin called glyphosate is particularly dangerous and ubiquitous. Glyphosate is another name for the weed killer Roundup. Genetically modified foods are dangerous not because they are genetically modified per se, but because they are genetically modified to tolerate Roundup. So farmers can spray Roundup all over their fields and kill everything except the food-bearing plants. The problem is that the food we eat is now filled with weed killer which is toxic to our gut biome. Disruptions in your gut lead to all kinds of complications, culminating in chronic inflammation, which is implicated in all kinds of diseases, including dementia. Danger and violence. War zones are dangerous and traumatizing. High crime neighborhoods are dangerous and traumatizing. I mean, beyond the threat of physical injury and trauma, The unrelieved stress of living in dangerous environments takes a toll on our health and our emotional well-being. Overcrowding is another example of an impoverished environment. According to the World Health Organization, outbreaks of disease are much more frequent and more severe when the population density is very high. Poor sanitation. The World Health Organization and UNICEF estimate that 2.6 billion people in the world, including 980 million children, have no toilets in their homes. Unsafe disposal of human waste and the absence of basic sanitation contributes to loss of lives, disease, malnutrition, poverty, and missed educational opportunities. Scarcity of resources. Many people in the United States live in food deserts, neighborhoods that lack adequate access to affordable foods that are needed to support a healthy diet. So instead of fresh produce, all that's available is an unhealthy assortment of packaged foods. And then there's scarcity of cultural resources. A cultural desert is defined by the Free Dictionary as, quote, "...any place that is characterized by having a distinct lack of complexity, vibrancy, vitality, or interest in intellectual and artistic activity." More specifically, a cultural desert is a neighborhood that has few public places where people can go to stimulate their intellectual curiosity or to connect with nature. Poverty is an incredibly important characteristic of an impoverished environment, obviously. And it's clearly documented that poverty is bad for your health and bad for your brain. Research has shown that children who grow up in poverty are more likely to score low on cognitive skills as they mature in age. In an article called A Journey Through a Land of Extreme Poverty Welcome to America, author Ed Pilkington reports that the richest nation in the world, that's us, by the way, has 41 million people officially living in poverty. Nine million of those people have zero cash income and receive not a cent of social support. Many of these people are homeless and they're forced to live in unsanitary living conditions. Los Angeles, my current home, has, quote, by far the largest population of street dwellers in the country, end quote. According to U.S. News, there are 10 states that have the highest percentage of their population living in poverty. The top two, Mississippi and Louisiana, both have more than 20% of their population living in poverty. The top 10, Mississippi, Louisiana, New Mexico, Kentucky, West Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, Arizona, Oklahoma, and Georgia. quick scan of these states shows that they are all southern states, dubbed the Southern Poverty Belt. As an article in the Huffington Post says, living in high poverty areas often means a lifetime of struggle with underperforming public schools, limited job opportunities, high crime rates, and poor nutrition, health care, and housing, all of which can add up to a shorter, sicker retirement. There is also an 11-state region of the United States where the incidence of stroke is 34% higher the general population than it is in other areas of the country. The list of states in the stroke belt will not surprise you. They pretty much track the poverty belt. Again, Mississippi tops the list. Stroke risk in Mississippi is one-third higher than the national average. The other stroke belt states are Tennessee, Louisiana, Kentucky, Georgia, North Carolina, Alabama, South Carolina, Arkansas, Indiana, and Virginia. The environment you live in appears to matter. Is it healthier to live in big cities or in rural areas? If you guess that people are healthier living out in the country, away from the big city, you would be wrong. According to a CDC study, Americans living in rural areas are more likely to die early from five preventable diseases. Heart disease, cancer, unintentional injuries, chronic lower respiratory disease, and stroke. Quote, this study, which was in 2017, shows there is a striking gap in health between rural and urban Americans, said CDC director Tom Frieden. 15% of the U.S. population, about 46 million Americans, currently live in rural areas. What puts them at risk? The CDC points to a variety of demographic, environmental, economic, and social factors that could be putting rural residents at higher risk of death. Rural residents tend to be older and sicker than their urban counterparts. They smoke more cigarettes, have higher blood pressure, and are more obese. Rural residents are less likely to have health insurance or access to adequate health care, and are more likely to live in poverty. So now let's take a look at enriching environments. What is an enriched environment? To a certain extent, you can take a look at the protective factors associated with each of MindRamp's cogwheel areas, like physical and mental stimulation. An enriched environment is filled with novel, challenging, and engaging elements that trigger attention, curiosity, and engagement in the human brain. It is filled with elements that are stimulating without being overwhelming. Enriched environments diminish fear and anxiety and encourage physical exploration and mental curiosity. Take social engagement. For social animals, like human beings, there is nothing more engaging and challenging than interacting with other human beings. Enriched environments offer ample opportunity to engage in positive, cooperative interactions with fellow human beings. Enriched environments offer opportunities for exploration, growth, and learning. They are challenging without being overwhelming. Safety and security. Novelty and challenge are stimulating, but only in the context of safety and security. Urban environments, for example, are filled with challenges and uncertainty, but often this leads to adverse psychosocial influences that result in chronic stress. Chronic stress leads to negative plastic changes in the brain that mitigate the benefits. Positive growth and development of the human brain flourishes in environments that are safe and positive. The body of research on how the brain is influenced by our environment can be traced back to the work of Marion Diamond in the 1960s. She and her colleagues at the University of California, Berkeley, put rats into different kinds of environments and tested their health, longevity, and intelligence. And their research clearly demonstrated that rodents raised in enriched environments did better on all counts. Rats raised in standard lab cages, on the other hand, fared much worse. Rats raised in impoverished environments were scrawny, sickly, and short-lived. And the same turns out to be true for human beings. The lessons are clear. Enriched environments promote health and well-being. Impoverished environments do the opposite. They contribute to premature aging, poor health, and accelerated cognitive decline. Environmental factors are a kind of meta-cogwheel. The focus of the other cogwheels is largely internal, They look inside us, into our internal behaviors and our own habits and practices. The environmental cogwheel encourages us to consider factors outside ourselves, beyond our skin, in the external environment. While we cannot always control factors that are outside of us, we recognize that they can control us, or at least exert a strong influence on what we feel is possible. What we can control, to a certain extent is the nature of the external factors we choose to expose ourselves to. We can exert some control over how we decide to structure the environment we inhabit. We can exert some control over how we respond to the environmental factors that impact us. So what aspects of your environment are under your control? Take a look at whether they enrich or impoverish your life. Take a look at your media choices, for example your social media choices. You're in control of what you watch. You can decide how much time you'd spend checking Facebook posts and Twitter feeds. Are you doing all you can to take advantage of the enriching aspects of your environment? Are you doing all you can to avoid the impoverishing factors? Feed the good wolves, starve the bad. So that does it for MindRamp's Cogwheels of Brain Health. In previous episodes in this Cogwheel series, we've covered physical exercise, mental stimulation, social engagement, stress management, diet and nutrition, sleep, medical conditions, and now environmental factors. MindRamp's eight essential Cogwheels of Brain Health. By the way, we cover all of the cogwheels in much greater detail in our ebook called Strong Brains, Sharp Minds, which is available for purchase on our website at www.mindramp.org. And you can access all of our podcasts for free on the podcast page of our website. Contact us if you want to work with us to put together your own personalized plan to work on the cogwheels of brain health. And of course, if you're struggling in any way, struggling to get started, to figure out exactly what to do, to overcome obstacles, or to stick with your plan, we can coach you through those difficult times. That's it for now. Live long and live well.